to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we bridge the gap between week one and week two. We'll go around the web and see what some of the national pundits are saying. I'm going to start a new segment called Five Things I Think as we look at the team in its current position. And we'll start our Ravens prep with media from some of the guys as well as Coach Mike McDaniel from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another I think I missed the mark there by like a half a second, but whatever. And coming into the season, I knew exactly what I was doing for the Sunday recap podcast, the Tuesday show, and on Thursday and Friday. But Wednesday's always kind of been that show that I tinker with, and that's kind of where I am again this year. I'll go back to Coach's comments about the journey that if the journey we want to be on, and if we are on that journey, This will be the worst game we play, and I'm using that for today's podcast. This will be the worst podcast on a Wednesday we have all year because they should only get better as we go, right? So with that, I wanted to install a newish segment. I do want to get into deep dives this season, but with just one game and having done the All-22 review yesterday, I think it would be a little bit repetitive. So I wanted to go back a little further and kind of use a wider scope to measure where we are here on a Wednesday heading into week two. And with that, here are five things, I think, heading into week number two. Number one, the newcomer impact is palpable already. So far, it looks pretty solid in terms of tracking Miami's aggressive offseason that brought a ton of talent in. And you go down the list here. Teron Armstead, one pressure allowed. The tape was outstanding. The Dolphins' offensive line or offense in general allowed 11 pressures in that game on Sunday. Connor Williams, one pressure allowed. Same deal. He was out in space making all kinds of good blocks. Those two guys were phenomenal in the game on Sunday. And the line showed great progress, I thought, from a season ago. We referenced the fact that they had their longest time to throw for Tua in his career so far, which is obviously a great step in the right direction. How about the running backs? Chase Edmonds, three first down conversions on his four receptions for 40 yards. He was stellar in pass protection. He ran hard as hell. And Raheem Mostert, the speed is so evident. One catch for 16 yards, forcing two missed tackles on that. And those last couple of runs on that final drive. I look at these guys' speed and the option to keep them fresh, especially when you have Miles and Savon back there as well. I look at the Dolphins' ability, especially down here in South Florida, to salt away games late with those guys and their speed against tired legs on defense. Keep an eye on that as we go forward. It might be a storyline worth tracking. So the backs look good. You know about Tyreek Hill. Do I have to have a lot of discussion here? Eight for 94. We covered his game pretty in-depth yesterday, but you could tell early on that game, you know, everyone's asking, where's Waddle the first I think it was 28 minutes of the game, and then we, we found Waddle, <laughs> found him pretty quickly there. It's hard to hide the Penguin, but the Cheetah, there was so much designed for him in terms of creative ways to get him the football, screen game, end around, vertical shots, intermediate shots. It's just they found ways to get him the ball. I can't imagine that will change at all this season. 
You know, Cedric Wilson and Trent Sherfield, some big catches, some big blocks. Cedric had my favorite segment we do every single week, the play before the play, the, the catch before the Waddle touchdown, which if he doesn't come back and make that catch, Miami has to punt. You don't get 42 yards to Waddle. And then Sherfield had that block on the Tyreek screen and catch and run for 18 yards. How about Melvin Ingram, a touchdown on defense in his Miami debut? I don't know. Negative yardage and coverage, really sound open field tackling, good run defense. And so to reiterate, as you kind of track the moves that we made and we talked about for literally six months, this is all we could talk about, right? On paper, on paper, on paper. I think you get to the game here, week number one. I believe you can put a check mark next to that in terms of feeling good about what you added this offseason. Was the offseason a success? Well, for one game, check that box. The first ever podcast I did or during the 2016 season, a critical year for then quarterback Ryan Tannehill, right? And after that one and four start, my co-host and I, Kevin Dern, decided we're going to just go through each game and talk about his performance. And then at the end of the episode, we'll say check mark or no check mark in terms of he did enough individually in this game to prove his value long-term as the quarterback here. And the new acquisitions get on board here with the first game, not just with a check mark, but an emphatic check mark. Normally, This is the part where I start telling you about the 2021 draft class producing a 42-yard touchdown, an interception, or the 2020 draft class running lanes behind Big Rob Hunt, forcing a fumble for a touchdown, throwing for 8.2 yards per pass, and a touchdown. But since we're moving forward, I just think you look at your thoughts heading into week two. And so far, those draft classes, this free agent and vet class from this year, I feel really good about where those guys are. The thing I think number two is that Coach mentioned this on Monday, and it took me into the thought that I had just the defensive backfield depth, but also Josh Boyer and his track record of getting production from previously unknowns. I'll list them again for posterity. Malcolm Butler rose to prominence and made a game-winning play in the Super Bowl his rookie season as UDFA under Josh Boyer as the cornerbacks coach there in New England. Jonathan Jones developed into a player the Patriots have extended and is their best, I would say besides, well, let's, let's take safeties out of it. I would say by far their best cornerback on the roster right now. We saw it on Sunday. He was, he was good in the game. J.C. Jackson, one of the best cornerbacks in football, one of the best ball hawks in football. He's gone to the Chargers since then, also UDFA. You know about Nick Needham. And now here's a couple of guys that have shown some bite and I think have a chance. Trill Williams suffers the unfortunate injury after having a good training camp, but he was looking sharp before that. Elijah Campbell plays his butt off on teams last year and finds himself in some sub packages and defense in game number one, played four snaps in that dime package. And then Cater Kohu, and I'm certainly not going to crown anybody after one game, but Kohu's big debut is a really nice surprise, right? And by surprise, like, if you heard the podcast, I talked about him all summer saying like, this guy can play. <laughs> hey, got a good little player, good little ball player out there. But I mean, a surprise in the sense that this is a guy from Texas A&M Commerce at this time last year. You don't forecast a corner from Texas A&M Commerce one year later being an impact player. And that's what he was in the game uh, on 18 snaps in week one. Consider it this way. You're a diehard Dolphins fan, but maybe you pay attention to other teams casually or from a distance. I kind of have to do that sometimes. I do, you know, spend time during the week, but on Sundays, I'm not watching other teams. I got Dolphins coverage and a post-game show and a podcast on, on those days, so I'm not watching other games much, if at all. Uh, but when you see a UDFA on a roster heading into camp, 
It's not someone you're like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a big impactful player for them. So in that sense, any rookie who pops like that might be a surprise. And when they're an undrafted free agent from a small school, it's always a nice surprise to the casual observer who has not watched him all summer long. But also, that's why you listen to Drive Time, because we talked about him in OTAs and on the the training camp podcast. Also, back in May, Emery Hunt told us this was his top pick to make the football team. So Cater Cahoo, no surprise to us, maybe a bit of a surprise to the casual observer, especially here in game one. And then at the defensive backfield, we kind of knew about, you know, Javon and Brandon, what we have there. But what a season opener for those guys. It just gives us defense so much flexibility. Then what Xavier Howard does to essentially take away one side of the field, as he did on Sunday again. And, you know, Coach had this to say about the secondary this week. I was pretty happy with the secondary. It's kind of what I expected. I think you guys have been grinding me on our secondary depth, and I tried to explain to you guys why. Well, I think you saw a little bit more from some of the players and why I feel that way. So we have some good players there that we always try to do the best thing for the Miami Dolphins and given the matchups and given the defensive game plan. So that was all just part of it. So there you go, Coach, talking about kind of backing up what he was telling us earlier. Thing, I think, number three, I think the offense will clean up some of the mistakes. Mike McDaniel Going back to the the comment about if we're on the journey we want to be on, this will be our worst game of the year. He mentioned some communication disruption, a couple of misses, a couple of drops, some plays where you got exceptional blocks out of one or two guys or out of, you know, the whole squad, but one or two misses didn't allow for you to maximize those good blocks. And I mean, look around the league and you'll see that's common across the board, especially in week number one. But I thought fundamentally, structurally, there's a lot of good to build on. And we'll hear from some of the national media on that here in the next segment. Thing I think number four is that Zach Sealer and short yardage go together like apple pie and Chevy or something. I don't know what I'm saying. Lamb and tuna fish is my preferred uh, simile, metaphor. I don't know. I was considering a deep dive on this independently because I think it fits here, but I just decided, you know, let's, let's put it into the five things I think. But Zach Sealer did it again, and I was able to use a tweet from the Philly preseason game after he made another short yardage stop. So I thought to myself, let's go back over his career here, you know, and we'll not include 2019. We'll start in 2020, his first full year here, and take a look at the plays that he's made on fourth or third and short. 2020, third and three versus Seattle. Chris Carson runs for two yards. Zach Sealer makes the stop, set up fourth and one, which Miami gets a stop with an Emmanuel Ogba play. Fourth and one versus the Chargers. He stops Kalen Balaj for no gain. Fourth and one versus the Cardinals. He stops Chase Edmonds for no gain, combined with the Landon Roberts. I remember that one very, very well. That was a huge play in that game. And, you know, two was best game to date, probably. Fourth and one at Las Vegas. Tackle for loss on a one-yard loss by Brandon Jacobs. So four short yardage stuffs in 2020. How about 2021? Fourth and one at Las Vegas. He stops a Peyton Barber run to get the ball back to the offense. And that was one play after a third and one where he stops Peyton Barber for no yards on third and one. So he basically got that entire drive taken care of in two plays. And then also at Buffalo, third and one, Zach Moss minus one yard on a third and one carry. That was paired with Xavier Howard. And then this year, the play that he shut down with that swim move on Sunday to get the Patriots into a fourth down situation. So that's eight plays in two plus seasons. And for posterity, conversion rates against this Dolphins defense in third and fourth and short in 2020 was 66%. 2021, it was like 57%. Big part of that's probably Zach Sealer. So that's a play that favors the offense, but Zach just seems to make a play when he has to. Number five, the thing I think number five, did I lose the the thread there on the title of the segment? 
is you saw the depth we talked about all offseason and a league that requires the ability to handle some attrition. You saw it from game number one. You look at the Ravens last year, that 8-3 and three record they had at one point as the number one seed in the AFC was nothing short of a miracle given all the injuries they had endured, but the injuries did keep accumulating and eventually became too much for them. But it goes back to that opening point about the depth this Dolphins roster has with McDaniel talking about running backs and receivers this training camp, knowing you're going to have to cut some NFL players because of the depth you have at those positions. The tight end group, we knew how deep that was. The offensive line showed you some flexibility as well. And then the front seven defensively, Eric Rowe, Byron Jones not available. You get Cater Kohu, like we mentioned, who can continue his development and keep going here into uh, his first season, his rookie year with the Miami Dolphins. And then Byron Jones also being down. You had Elijah Campbell kind of filling in a role in that defensive secondary for a few snaps as well. So I just look at the depth here, and I love to compare other sports. And, you know, the Seattle Mariners, I think, my Mariners, are a good parallel here because they came into the season with a couple of guys most notably Mitch Hanniger, that were down and they managed to weather the storm and now they're right in the thick of a playoff hunt and they get Hanniger back in the way that's almost like a trade deadline acquisition of a great big-time slugger in the middle of their batting order. So this Dolphins team, the depth we talked about all training camp long appears to be right on track to where we hoped it would be, to where we expected it would be. At least one game in requires much more than that, but one game so far, so good. All right. We have plenty more to go. Actually, not plenty more because it is a shorter show today, which is going to be a thing on Wednesdays, kind of the the pivot point of the week, if you will. But next, we'll go around the web and see what the national media is saying about our Miami Dolphins. That's next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. So I want to go ahead and take a look around the web and some of the national media talking points that stood out to me. As always, we have to stop by the film room with Brian Baldinger. Excuse me. He is pretty excited about Cheetah and Penguin. Let's go ahead and go to Baldy talking about the most exciting 90 seconds he's seen at Hard Rock Stadium in some time. Most exciting moment in this entire game was the final two minutes of the first half. It's first and 15 here at the 29. And they send Tyreek Hill in motion. And Jack Jones runs with them, a rookie. And it's not even a route. They just throw the ball up. And, like, Tyreek just go take it away from them. 
I mean, Jack Jones has two hands on the ball, and Tyreek goes for 26. Here he comes in motion. Are you just going to kind of wheel it? Like, it's not even a route. Like, they don't block the defense, man. Tula just throws it up and lets Tyreek just out jump with one hand, pulls it in. Then the very next play, they come right back to Tua against Jack Jones. And it's a throw with anticipation. It's just a little bit off. Just a little bit off. All right. So now you get second and ten. All right, here we go. You're going to get Matt Judon here coming off a twist stunt. All right. Patriots been running these twist stunts for 25 years. The same ones. And they get to Tua, and they sack him. The clock is ticking. It's now third and 19. What are you going to do? Gesicki. All right. You get Chase Edmonds. Chip the edges. And here comes Cedric Wilson over the middle. And Tua puts it right on him. All right. Pick up 12. Leaves you fourth down and seven. Fourth and seven, up 10 nothing. There's Jalen Waddle right there. Watch this throw by Tua. Cedric Wilson in, in short motion right here. Like he hits Jalen Waddle in stride. And just like that, on fourth and seven, you go for it. You don't make it. You give the Patriots the ball around midfield with 20 seconds to go. Watch this throw. I mean, there's Raheem Mostert right next to him. Look at the anticipation of where he puts this ball and when he starts firing. What are they back at spring, like spring practice in Tuscaloosa right here? Waddle at the top of your screen. There it is. Look at this throw. Waddle's not even seeing the ball yet. Here it comes. Bam. Right in the triangle. Waddle, show me some speed. Finish it. Finish it. Have yourself a nice little celebration. And in just one moment, one moment, the game went to 17 nothing. Baldy pretty fired up there. Why don't we check in with Emmanuel Acho, who's pretty fired up as well about our Miami Dolphins. I really love football way too much. Here's why the Miami Dolphins are going to shock the world this year. It's fourth and seven. You got a coach that doesn't play scared. Brilliant mind. You got the Patriots. They're in man-to-man. This DB got that wide receiver. This DB got that wide receiver. But Mike McDaniel, the offensive-minded coach, when he causes the Dolphins to move, he's going to make the Patriots communicate. This DB, given a low signal, low signal. Hey, I no longer have Jalen Waddle. I'm communicating with Jalen Mills. I now have the low offensive wide receiver. Jalen Mills, you take Jalen Waddle. Problem, though, for the Patriots. Jalen Mills is outside leverage. So now Tua can throw a start right down the middle of the field. Easiest passing ball. Jalen Mills, outside leverage. Tua can throw the dart right down the middle of the field. Now all you got to do, Patriots, make a tackle. Make a tackle. Three DBs, one wide receiver. But they attract team Dolphins, uncoachable speed. Now you're just going to see a pile of bodies. There's my dog from Snowfall says, bodies, 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 bodies. Dolphins attract team. They're going to shock the world this year, y'all. I love, and I know you know that I love that track team reference because... Can't coach speed. He said that himself as well. Uncoachable speed from the Miami Dolphins. How about Albert Breer, who was complimentary of Coach McDaniel for something we talked about on Tuesday with the creativity and the ways to get the ball to the receivers in the running game. Three carries for Reek, Waddle, and Cedric. They went for 20 yards combined. And then let's go ahead and finish up here on the Around the Web with something I saw from Peter King in his Football Morning in America column. 
And he says, I'm adding two new sections here this season, the Hidden Person of the Week and then also the Jason Jenkins Award. It's a way to recognize a person who has some association with the NFL, maybe a player, but it could be anyone, for good work. And I've decided to name it after the selfless, magnetic, and inspirational former Dolphins VP Jason Jenkins who passed away 16 days ago. Then he wrote this passage in that portion Uh, of the award handing out. Jason Jenkins, Senior VP of Communication and Community Affairs in Miami. Most of you know that Jenkins, 47, died two weeks ago in his office at Hard Rock Stadium. He left his wife, Liz, three children, that's Leah, Aiden, and Sloan, and much of South Florida crushed by the loss of one of the NFL's biggest doers and community heroes of all time. Hell yeah, Peter, you're damn straight about that. On Sunday at the Dolphins opener, Liz Jenkins and the children were honorary captains for the team before the game against New England. Here's a quote from Liz. He truly believed there was good in the world. He saw the divisiveness that we all saw in recent times, but Jason felt, I'm going to be a catalyst for good. Uh, He founded a South Florida outreach based inside the Dolphins called Football Unites and a team photo with all the 30-plus organizations it touches. Looks like the United Nations. That made Jenkins proud. And if you look at our staff down here, Jason was a big proponent of making the Dolphins reflective of Miami in our diversity. Back to Peter King. What's great about it, Liz said, is it represents Florida. It represents our community, all walks of life, all nationalities, all kinds of people. He loved that. Maybe some of those groups felt like they were on the outside of things, but with Jason, no one was on the outside. One day, I'll really remember that Jason, uh, with Jason is a day when we went to three events in a community together. The first was an LGBTQ event. Then we went to a mosque. It was Ramadan. And it was important to him to honor the holiday. Then we went to Hard Rock Stadium for a Dolphins alumni Nat Moore event. He just loved pulling in all the cultures. That's why all season I'll recognize good people in and around the game with the weekly Jason Jenkins Award. And if you have ideas, he says to email him at Peter or Peter King F M I A at gmail.com and also send great karma and prayer to the to Liz Jenkins and her family. Well said, Peter. Well said. Let's go ahead and take our last break because I have a note here. I don't want to get to it to the other side of the podcast because it just feels not right. We'll take our last break here and come back with some interesting data from the game on Sunday and also hear from our guys as well as Coach McDaniel and preview a couple of the matchups I'm intrigued to study heading into my preview podcast for the Ravens. That's all next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Concluding here on this Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast, I want to look at some of the uh, personnel deployment the Dolphins used on Sunday and just talk about that for a second. So 59 plays on offense. They ran 24 from 11 personnel. That's one back, one tight end, and three receivers. 11 snaps from 12 personnel, that's two tight ends. 20 snaps from 21 personnel, that's two backs, one tight end. And then four snaps 
from 22 personnel, two backs, two tight ends, and one wide receiver. That's a lot of change from a year ago. Alec Ingold, obviously a mainstay there for that 21-22 personnel, and he played 23 snaps, so there you go. But that's good flexibility in terms of being able to manipulate the defensive personnel with the ability to go with a good split across these pretty different formations. If you guys are short on corners, we can go 11 personnel and run three receivers all game. If you're lighter in the box, the linebacker position, we'll go 22 personnel and take your cornerbacks off the field. So interesting perspective there. And then defensively, 54 snaps on defense. 20 of those were in a 3-4. The Patriots were in plenty of two tight end and two back sets. And I say that because the Dolphins had three snaps in a 4-3, And that's why nobody's base is 4-3 or 3-4. 23 snaps out of 54, less than half the snaps in a game where the Patriots were in those heavier packages a heck of a lot. You still get 27 snaps out of nickel and four snaps in dime. And that was Elijah Campbell on the field as your sixth defensive back. Dime is six defensive backs, nickel is five, and then the other formations you have just four. So there you go. And we are now turning the page here on a Wednesday on the Drive Time Podcast. And we'll do that with some of our guys talking about the game here in just a moment. But I kind of want to lay out my notes going into my Raven study ahead of the Thursday preview podcast and some things I'm curious to study. Number one, the plan against Lamar Jackson last year, the production they got, Jerome Baker and Duke Riley had big games as Baker kind of slid down off the edge and Riley played more of that Mike linebacker position. I'm curious to see that matchup again this year and how the Ravens respond and adjust and how we adjust to the adjustment. Who replaces Kyle Fuller? He was lost for the season in week one. He played 54 snaps at wide corner, 16 in the slot Sunday, six more in the box, and four up on the D-line. He's a great player, a versatile weapon. Marlon Humphrey played 84 snaps. Fuller was second among their corners with 80. Then you had Brandon Stevens, who was third with 58 snaps. And then next was Demarion Williams with 13 So is Williams going to get the elevation to more snaps? Will it be more base defense for the Ravens? It's a tough quandary for them. I'll be curious to see who replaces those snaps of a very good player in Kyle Fuller. Another injury situation, they lost Jawan James, you all know who he is, who was filling in for the injured Ronnie Stanley, who has not practiced a whole lot. Doesn't sound like he'll play on Sunday. We'll see about that as the week progresses. Uh, Patrick McCarry filled in for him on Sunday. Matchup to watch there with the Dolphins defensive line and linebacker depth, whether it's Ogba or Van Ginkle, or Phillips, or Melvin Ingram, or you get one of the big D-tackles that kicks out there in Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer to play out that uh, position. How about getting Odafe Owe and Justin Houston blocked? They combined for 11 pressures in the season opener. Armstead was solid as a rock, and we'll see if uh, they have... Austin Jackson back or not at right tackle, but curious to watch to see what happens there. And then just the tight end position in general. Mark Andrews is a stud. The Ravens are in 12 personnel a lot. Uh, The Dolphins were down Eric Rowe last week, but Jones was excellent. Campbell got some work. I'm curious to see how they match up on the Baltimore tight ends. Let's go ahead and finish up this podcast with one comment from Mike McDaniel, uh, one comment from Rob Hunt, and two from Alandon Roberts. We'll go ahead and start here with head coach Mike McDaniel, who was asked about Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense. Oh, that's a, it's as good of a challenge as you get um, in the National Football League. You know, I, I've been uh, following, uh, you know, the, that team has given, has spawned a ton of ideas um, for me personally. And in the, in the run game, they do an unbelievable job at forcing you to defend all gaps and and be sound and then they do a good job in the past game too to with, with things to balance that out so you have to you have to account for all 11 players on every 
on a, on every down. You really do. Um, you have to have a plan um, that, you know, for, for all the different bells and whistles that they run, they're very physical when, when, with, when moving players, and um, that's, that's one of their challenges. Um, and and you, you, can't, you can't take anything for granted, really, um, when you play a, a dynamic playmaker at the quarterback position like, like they have with Lamar Jackson. So um, that it is, uh, it's going to be a fun game. Uh, a challenging game, one that we're going to have to um, we're going to have to leave no stone unturned in the entire process for us to come out the way we want to come out um, this coming Sunday. Rob Hunt was asked about Baltimore's defense and seeing how that translates to this year. Here's Big Rob talking Baltimore Ravens. Um, you just see big, big physical guys. Um, you know they got some veterans over there, so I'm sure they'll be ready to play. And we'll be we'll be ready to play too. Um, just like big, big physical guys, you know. But I think we got a lot of big physical guys on our team too, so it'll be fun. Let's finish up here with Elandon Roberts. I told you I had two, but I only have one. I'm not sure what happened there. But here's Elandon Roberts talking about facing Baltimore last year and some of the success they had defensively in that game. Um, you know, last year we was, uh, you know, Baltimore came out, uh, you know, did some things that we expected them to do and stuff like that. But with they type of offense, man, they can they can give you looks and do a lot of stuff off of it, you know, and whatnot. And um, Lamar is the engine of that offense, and um, you know, that's that's you know, it's all about Lamar. Like he's he's a big part of that offense, and uh, I feel like you know, he's the like I said, engine that gets everything going. We also heard from Justin Bethel, who made a big play on special teams in the game on Sunday. For all those media veils, get over to the YouTube channel, as always, this season to see those in their entirety. All right, that's going to be my time on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. A bunch of five-star ratings coming in. We appreciate that. Helps the podcast get out to more Dolph fans. Also, the Twitter Spaces show every Wednesday at 8 o'clock with me, Seth, and Juice. They are the hosts of the Fish Tank podcast. Check them out. Terry Kirby just dropped this week as well. The YouTube channel for the Media Veils, Dolphins Today, Drive Time, and Fish Tank content, as always, up on the team YouTube channel. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline Daddy.